0: Is God good? God is very, very, very good. One of the cool things is the way that He interacts with us. The way that He ministers to us. I prayed fervently that God would guide the formation of this service. The the words that are in my mouth whenever I prepare a sermon and whenever I prepare a service is, Lord, what do you want to say to your people? And Father, what do you want us to say to you? And it was easy, because today was the Sunday of love. So it was kind of an easy thing, but I was amazed. There was a couple of songs that we've heard this morning, and a couple more we're going to hear, that I had never heard before until this week, when I was preparing. I'd never heard the songs. All of a sudden, they just popped up in front of me. Um when I did a search and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so I'm just so excited for the fact that God is interactive with us, that this isn't just us playing a game and hoping and wishing maybe there's a God, but really and truly God interacts with us moment by moment, day by day. And what he is saying to us right now is, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I want you to love me back. That's what this is all about. So, Luke chapter one—that's the area that we're going to be looking at to begin with this morning. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter one. This is what in in uh, in theater—I mean theater in in church talk in theological talk. This is what's called the Annunciation. The Annunciation is the time when um, Mary is out in the middle of nowhere, just minding her business, going around with her life, and all of a sudden, this angel named Gabriel comes to her and says, Hey, how you doing? Did you know you're blessed? Did you know that God has specifically chosen you of all the human beings who have ever been born, and all the human beings who ever will be born, God has seen you. And he says, You are special, and he wants to do something incredible through you, that will bless all of humanity. And so, if you read with me, we're going to read verses 26 through 38, chapter 1 of the book of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary. And he came to her and he said, "'Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you.' But she was much perplexed by his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David.' He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called Son of God. And now your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let me state that one more time. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me, According to your word. And then the angel departed from her. I love Mary's response. I don't know that it would have been my response. I think I would have been too freaked out. I don't know what I would have said or done. But think about, and we don't have time this morning to go this direction, but think about what she was accepting, all of the horrors she was going to endure as a result of that one yes. She literally was potentially opening herself up for stoning, meaning she was going to be killed. That was part of the culture of that day. But she didn't... She didn't go there, she didn't fuss, she didn't fume. She questioned. She said, I don't understand how this is possible because I'm a virgin, but nevertheless, here am I. I'm the servant of the Lord. If this is God's will, so be it. I'll say yes. And then if you look back in this section that we just read, actually, if you look, yeah, if you look back, verse 32 and 33. The angel says to her, He will be great. He will be called the most, the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign uh, over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You don't see it, but on the notes that I get each week for the scriptures that are coming up, the scripture for this week was 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I'm like, what? What does that have to do with Christmas? And how in the world does that tie in with this story of the Annunciation of Mary? Because if you read through the scriptures, I mean, the the, the lectionary scriptures, there is the Magnificat, which is the, 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 the prayer that Mary gives after she is greeted by her cousin Elizabeth. There is this section of the um, Annunciation there's some Psalms that talk about the love of God and then there's uh, there's a the, the, um, something out of Romans which talks about God's power and his strength but then the Old Testament lesson is King David and it's a crazy thing because King David the story about him is David's desire to give a gift to God and when I first read it, I thought, well, that would be a cool little twist. We could talk about what do we give to God. And, what, and that's not the path that the Lord took me down. But, but in this particular section of Scripture, David has this intense desire. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Because, again, I had to read through like six or seven chapters to get this background. We don't have that time this morning. But if you remember the stories of, of the Old Testament and David and King Saul and Jonathan and all of that stuff... Where we're at in the story is this. King Saul and Jonathan have died in battle. David is then anointed as king over Judah. And then there is a son of Saul who is anointed as king over the Israelite nation, the northern kingdom. And then after seven years and a lot of turmoil and a lot of fussing, Finally, David is then anointed over the United Kingdom. All the northern t- t- tribes join and align themselves under David as their king. And so David then moves to Jerusalem. And David finally takes over the city of Jerusalem, which now is known as the City of David. And he has built for himself a palace. And it says it's a house made of cedar. And to us, that may not sound like it's that big of a deal, but there are trees. In Israel, There are cedar trees in Israel. And so he has to get cedars from the area of Lebanon. And the cedars of Lebanon are incredibly valuable. Incredibly valuable. I mean, for us, I guess it would be like making our, our home out of gold, I guess. Um, but so David had this house made out of cedar. And he, he has this weighing on his heart. And he calls Nathan the prophet and he says, and this is the first part of John chapter 7, Luke the 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says to Nathan, he says, my heart's heavy. He said, here God has blessed me and God has raised me up. I mean, I was a shepherd out in the fields as a kid. And now less than 20 years later, I am the leader of, of Israel. And I am not only that, but I have all of this beauty and fabulous wealth around me. People are honoring me. I have this fabulous place to live and God's got a tent. I just, I
1: want to have something
0: beautiful and glorious that I, I want to build for God. And Nathan says to David, do whatever your heart tells you to do. Go for it. If that's what's on your heart, go for it. And David's like, yes. And then that night, Nathan's sleeping and all of a sudden God speaks to him and says, what did you do? Who gave you permission to give David that word? Now you go back and you tell him this. And what he said was, um, well, he said was, you, God has never lived in anything other than this tent. Because God doesn't live in anything. He is. He is everywhere. And he doesn't need to be housed in anything. But it is good that you had this in your heart. And so I'm going to tell you what, David, and this is Nathan speaking to David through God's anointing. I will go ahead and let your dream of building a place for me come true, but it's not going to be through you. I'm going to raise up your offspring, verses 12 and 13 in chapter 7. I'm going to raise up your offspring, and we know that it was Solomon. And I'm going to raise him up, and he shall build a house for my name. Now, at this time in David's life, he didn't have Bathsheba as a wife. He only had two wives at the time. Abigail, and I don't remember the other woman's name. Um, but, so there was no such thing as a child in the future. It was a child in the future that God was talking about through the prophet Nathan. But he says, he shall build a house for my name. So David is given this promise that not only is your dream going to be fulfilled, but it's going to be a future child that hasn't been born to you yet. So God is speaking about the future of David's house. But then... Nathan, through God, through Nathan, says something to David that is amazing. And it's verse 16 of chapter 7. He says, Your throne shall be established forever. Imagine you're the sovereign, the king or the queen of the country. And to have God say to you, Your line will never end. Your descendants will always sit on the throne of this country.
1: Wow.
0: And so, if you go past chapter 16 and in verse 16 of chapter 7, you see that David had the benefit of living right next door to the tabernacle. Whenever he needed to have a word with God, he would literally just go into the presence of God, it says. And so, he, he gets this word from Nathan the prophet, and it says, He is so overwhelmed, he literally goes to the temple, which is right next door, the tabernacle, which is right next door, and he gets on his face before God, and this is his question. Who am I, O Lord God, that you have brought me thus far? How do I deserve all of this blessing? How in the world, you're talking about my heritage going on forever, God? I'm just a lowly shepherd. You raised me up and I'm willing to do it. Lord, but I don't understand. Why me? Why would you do this? It's wonderful, but why? Well, the answer wasn't necessarily given to David in that moment. But we have it recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 13. When Paul was talking to some Jews in an area called Antioch, a city I believe it was, in his first missionary journey... He, he's asked to speak before the synagogue. And the synagogue, as he stands up and has been speaking, he starts giving them the gospel. And he said in this presentation, these words. I, God has himself said, I have found David to be a man after my own heart. And I focused on that in my in my preparation for this. I was like, Lord, What does it mean, really and truly, to be a person after your own heart? And I I cheated, I googled it. And lo and behold, I found an answer. Now, I'm going to share with you the words that I found. These are not my ideas or my words. This is a website called gotquestions.org. You can google it for yourself. Just say, what does it mean for David to be called a man after God's own heart? Go to gotquestions.org and you'll find these next four things. But it spoke to me. And that's the reason I wanted to share it with you. First of all, a person after God's own heart has absolute faith in God. David, when he was confronting Goliath, when he was standing up, when all the rest of the nation's army was, was cowering in fear, David stand up, stood up and he said, declaring out loud, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will save me from the hand of the Philistines. And what I see in this is it's not a blind faith. Okay? He's not hoping. He knows. And how does he know? Because God never changes. And God's already proven that he's able in these previous situations. When he was out in the field and the lion came up, God rescued the flock and David from the from the jaws of the lion. God rescued the flock and David from the paw, the jaws of the bear. So twice before, God had already proven that he was able to take care of David when there was a crisis. So David's walking in that. He is a person of absolute faith in God. What else, is it, what else do you need to be a person who is after the heart of God? An absolute love of God's law. David wrote these words. I find my delight in your commandments because I love them. I revere your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on their statutes. That's Psalm 119, verses 47 to 48. David's heart was not just that he had faith in God, but he cho- he, he relished The fact that God communicates with humanity. And he devoured it. He not only read it. He not only loved it. It says he meditated on it. What does meditate mean? It means to chew on. It means to squeeze out all the nourishment. It means to take time with the word of God. To feed on it. To learn from it. To ask for new insight. New Ideas, new thoughts that you've never thought before. Now, I told you I only took five minutes when I was doing my quiet time a few minutes ago. And the really reason why it only took me five minutes was I was so worried about it taking too long. Because normally when I'm, when I'm quiet with God, it can be hours, literally. <coughs> normally, if I want to spend just my regular devotion time, it's an hour to an hour and a half. And I was so focused on it's only 10, 30, 30 minutes, I don't want to... And so I was so distracted... And that's not what this is talking about. This meditating, this chewing on, this loving God's word so much is not worrying about whether or not you've got an appointment coming or whether or not you need to go do something. This is saying, God, this time is yours and it's yours and if you take three hours or one minute or 17 days, I'll, whatever you want, God, this is you and me. But I'm just going to chew and study on this. The other thing is for to be a person who is after God's own heart. They need to be truly thankful. Philippians chapter 1, which is not David's words, but Philippians chapter 4 tells us, In all things, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving make your requests known to God. With thanksgiving. Yet pray, yet petition God, but also thank Him. Oh God, my car is broken. Thank you for this opportunity to learn to trust you more. Yeah, that sounds perfunctory. Maybe it is in this moment. But the reality is we are commanded to give thanks in all things. In all circumstances, we are to give thanks. David's words are, Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 to 2, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I reserve nothing. I don't know that I'm there in my walk. I mean, I love God and I worship him. And I do thank him. But there's times when my thanks aren't necessarily with my whole being, with my whole heart. Sometimes I'm thanking him because I know I'm supposed to thank him. But do I genuinely, truly, honestly say, you know what, God? Whatever you want. I thank you, God, for what's happening in my world right now. I thank you, and I give you praise, and I'm just going to rest. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name That's what this is talking about. Can you truly say thank you, God, when you have a diagnosis of cancer? Can you truly say thank you, God, when you may not see another Christmas? Can you truly say thank you, God, when you may be losing your home because of financial ruin? That's the kind of person that is a person after God's own heart who abandons all and gives praise, honor, and glory to him and says thank you in all circumstances. And the fourth thing that I found in this Google search of what it means to be a person after God's own heart is someone who is truly repentant. Now, repentance means I know that I have sinned and I confess it, but not only do I confess my sin, but I turn away from my sin with the intent that I never want to do it again. It's totally different from saying, yeah, I know I'm wrong. I'm guilty. That's not repentance. Repentance is coming up with a plan so you never have to confess again because you'll never do it again. That's the intentionality of being repentant. And these are the words that David used. Now, before I show you the words, let me tell you that David's (laughs) most heinous sin was having an affair with a woman that he lusted after and then after he finds out she's pregnant, he tries to manipulate the situation to get her to sleep with her husband so it'll look like the baby is her husband's. But the husband refuses to do that because he's an honorable person. He's come back from war, and he says, I can't sleep with my wife and have comfort when all of my comrades are out in the field. No, I'll just sleep here in the streets. And so David's like, "Ah, oh, credit didn't work. And so David then sends a letter In the hands of the man, back to the commander saying, make this guy die. I need him to disappear off the face of the earth. And so the commander does indeed that. And so Uriah is killed in battle. And the words come back to David, the deed is done. And then he's found out and called out by the same prophet Nathan. And then David writes these words. Psalm 51. The whole psalm is a is a is a plea from David's heart to be reconciled with God, to be forgiven for his horrible sin of adultery and lust and murder and deceit and deception and much much more. And he says to God in his prayer, "Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Then I will teach others who transgress Your ways and other sinners." To return to you. Create in me a clean heart God. Not just so that I can be clean and feel good about who I am. But so that others who are stuck in their own stuff. Can turn to you. And be made right again. It's not just selfish. It's with the intent of seeing the kingdom of God expand. With seeing people who are stuck in their own sins. Come to help and wholeness, and healing through the blood of Christ. That's what it means to be truly repentant. How do you be a person after God's own heart? You have absolute faith in God. You absolutely love God's law to the point where you chew on it every single day for as long as you can. You truly are thankful to God in absolutely every circumstance, regardless of the situation. And when you do fall because of your humanity or because of your willful choice, you can truly repent of your sin, not only because you want to get rid of the guilt, but because you don't want to bring harm to the kingdom. And because you want others to come forward to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive salvation and help and healing for themselves. That's what it means to be a person after God's own power. But that's not the whole point of this. That's just one little part of this. You see... I, I didn't want to do this, but God told me to do this. Because you need to hear these words. My wife and I got married in 1980. And being the good Nazarenes that we are, we spent our honeymoon at the Nazarene General Assembly, which was a convention for business meetings for the church. And um, it was a wonderful time. Oh, and by the way, her parents came with us. Because, you know, it's cheaper to have one vehicle than two. And so we did our honeymoon with her parents at a convention. Um, but there was this one service that was going on. Glorious worship time was happening, and I had to go to the bathroom. So I got up, and I walked out of the stands, I went back into the restroom area, came back in, and as I was coming back in, there was a God moment. Have you ever experienced that, where, where it's like God is just talking directly with you, and you know it without question? Well, this God moment for me was, I was walking back in, and I was looking up at the platform, and I... I, I <sighs> I even wrote it in my journal like, this is really crazy. I shouldn't even be saying it I feel awkward saying it in my journal. Now I feel really awkward saying it here. God whispered to me, one day, Bob, you'll be on that stage. Well, I was in the military at that point in my life. I was only 19 or 20 years old. And I was like, yeah, God, that'd be cool. That'd be great. I'll be a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. Sure. But then, 20-something years later, God tells me to go to Bible college. So I do, out of obedience. And then I graduate. But this still always in the back of my head. God's going to raise you up. You're going to be a general superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene. Where does he send me? The farthest north church of the Nazarene in the world, the farthest, most remotest, most dinkiest little community in the world, There's no way I'm going to get any face time anywhere in any kind of shape for me to be able to promote myself or build myself up or make a name for myself in this denomination. What are you thinking, God? I mean, you gave a word to me back in 1980, and this is now 30 plus years, 34 years, and I'm still nowhere near getting that FaceTime, nowhere near making a name for ourselves, nowhere near becoming who you said I was going to be, God. What are you doing? You want to be a man after my own heart, buddy? Do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you meditate on my word? Are you willing to be thankful in all circumstances? Are you willing to repent when you sin? Are you more concerned about the advancement of the kingdom than your own stuff? Sure, with my lips. Sure, with my head. Mm. Yes, with my heart. And, and it's not, I'm not being funny. This is serious for me. Because if God has indeed said to me, this is a promise. And I'm holding him to that promise.
1: How in the world is it going to happen?
0: (coughs) David was a shepherd. And when the big kahuna, Samuel, comes to the village to offer a, a sacrifice, he comes to David's family. There's this huge gathering, this huge party. And who doesn't get invited? the ruddy-faced little kid who's out there taking care of the sheep and he stinks and we don't want to embarrass the family because Samuel's here. So let's let him stay out in the field. But God's purposes wouldn't be thwarted and so Samuel says, we're not starting this party until he comes because I have to do some work here. And he anoints David with oil. And then David goes back into obscurity until this time with Goliath. And then he still goes back into obscurity. And then he gets called forward because he has skill with a heart. And then finally, he gets brought into the kingdom, into the court of the, of the king. He's finally going to... And then he gets thrown into the wilderness because the king wants to kill him. And I don't remember the timeline because I was looking at it um, trying to figure it out. It says that he came to be king when he was 30 and he was that was over the United... I mean starting him He came to be king when he was 30 and that means that from 17 to 30, about 13 years he was in the court and being running on his, running on his, you know, on on in the in the wilderness. So for 13 years or so, 10 years at least, he's in the middle of nowhere. But he's been ordained that this is what's going to happen. He's going to be the king. But he's in the middle of nowhere, and the day by day he's in the middle of nowhere, and the moment by, me, my, moment, by moment he's in the middle of nowhere, and his life is threatened. How in the world is God ever, ever going to bring about what is supposed to be happening? And the Lord said to me. David's focus never was, I'm going to be king someday. His focus was, I'm going to love the Lord God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to leave everything else in God's hands. And that's what God said to me in response to this dilemma that I was experiencing. You see, God is love. I said that to the kids this morning. And no one has ever seen God. Not us, but not the world either. And if we love one another, God living in us, then his love is perfected in us, and the people of the world will see that and will know God when they see it. They'll recognize it. So my focus cannot be, what's going to be in it for me? And how am I going to get advanced? And how am I... No, my whole purpose is... I need to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, so that when someone who doesn't know God looks at me, they don't see somebody who's scrambling, trying to get to the top, trying to better himself, trying to advance himself by getting degrees and working on all the right committees and going to all the right meetings. But indeed, he sees someone who's willing to wipe somebody's butt when they're dirty in the hospital. To see somebody who is sick and have been vomited on the floor and the person gets on their knees to help clean that mess up. Without regard of, well, who am I and what my station is. And I'm telling you right now, in my own heart, I'm not quite there yet. I'm still struggling with this. This is still something that I'm dealing with. And I think from the nods that I'm seeing from those of you who are sitting out there in the congregation, you're probably in the same boat as me. Your heart's right, but you're not quite there in your practice yet. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus said let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in Heaven. We started this whole thing with Mary. A simple young woman going about life and all of a sudden God intersects her life and says great opportunity for you if you're willing to say yes. And her words were here am I. Now now The reason she was selected was because she lived day by day, moment by moment, loving God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not because she was just some random person. God saw consistency in her, and he was then able to raise her up. There's a song I want you to hear. There's a video that goes with it. It tells the story of the idea of my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit wells up within me. But it's the story of Mary after the Annunciation all the way through to the birth of Christ. And I want you to just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Recognize this young woman as just a normal, everyday, average person, just like you. Living in obscurity, not making any major name for herself, but because of the faithfulness that she displayed, God was able to bring about incredible, powerful things, not for her glory, but for the kingdom, so that people could get saved, so that help, hope, and help and healing could take place. The Magnifica. <laughs> Can you still Thank you What gift do you want to give God this year for Christmas? We're going to spend a few time moments uh, getting ready to take communion. I'm going to ask the folks that are going to be serving if they'll come up.